Welcome to the Funkatopia Live podcast. On this particular podcast, I kind of went ahead and edited out everything else that we had done on this evening, except for this particular interview. Not that what we had going on wasn't fantastic that night. We had lots of fun talking with Kim Barry and everything else. You'll be able to hear those things a little bit later on. However, this particular interview is fantastic. It's myself and Mr. Chris Moon, who is the man who discovered Prince. He has so many amazing Prince stories that you've probably never heard before, including one that he's never told anybody. So you definitely have to check out this interview. It's one of my favorite interviews, I think, that I've ever done. Here it is. Enjoy Mr. Chris Moon on Funkatopia Live, which happened on July 20th, 2018. This is Mr. Christopher with the Funkatopia radio show, and tonight we're going to have a lot of fantastic guests on, and uh, we're actually starting it with a little bit of a pre-recorded uh, interview that we're doing this evening due to you know scheduling conflicts and whatnot, and uh, kind of wanted to make sure that he got an, an opportune amount of time to be able to tell us stories and just kind of hang out with us a little bit before, before time ran out. And uh, so it is my great pleasure to bring to the microphone Mr. Chris Moon. How are you, sir? Great, great. Thank you. A pleasure to be uh, with you there on Funkatopia this evening. Well, it's great to have you. So a lot of people are not really familiar with your story and uh, that story in regards to the fact that uh, you are essentially the man who discovered Prince. Um, and that's kind of the long, very <laughs> unexciting version of that. And um, so, as the story goes, you actually had the uh, you actually had a studio that his group at the time, Champagne, came into and started playing with. And we'll kind of get into that little bit of story uh, in just a second. But I kind of wanted to dig a little bit more into what prefaced before that. You know how how you got into you know into the music industry. Was it was there some some type of bands that said that made you say to yourself, I you know what, I need to have a recording studio and, you know, this, these are the type of artists that I like to work with. What started that passion with building uh, or putting together a recording studio and what was your vision for the studio? Well, uh, I graduated from high school when I was 17 and, uh, my, my parents wanted me to go off to college, but I just wasn't into it. And I just, uh, just couldn't get excited about more education. So I thought I got to figure out something to do. And so I sat down and thought about what I really, what I really wanted in life and what I really enjoyed. And I realized, that, you know, the thing that always brought me the most amount of pleasure was music. So I thought, why not, why not start a recording studio? And my father had been an executive with an airline. And until the age of 18, I had free travel anywhere in the world. And my dad came to me and said, you got one more trip. Where do you want to go? And I said, I want to go to Hong Kong. And he said, why Hong Kong? I said, because I can get good deals on electronics there. I want to go to Hong Kong, buy myself a multi-track tape recorder, and start a recording studio for my business. Yep. And, um, and so uh, that's what I did. And uh, that was the beginning of Moon Sound. I didn't really know anything about recording, so... I decided the best way to learn rapidly was uh, record bands. Everybody I could find, but uh, nobody had to pay. So I went out and... That's I a horrible record. business model. Huh? <laughs> That's a horrible business model. <laughs> well, actually, it turned out to be a really good one. Oh, right, right. In hindsight. So, so, so I went around and I thought, as long as I'm recording bands, uh, you know, for free... Uh, uh, let's try and get some R&B bands because that was my favorite kind of music. So I go out to nightclubs and say, hey, you want a free recording session? And nobody ever said no to me. Uh, I don't think my first recordings were that good, but uh, I had lots and lots of business and uh, just none of it was paying. <laughs> <laughs> and so I did tons and tons of recording for a couple years, a year and a half. And then... Uh, there was a concert promoter in town that was doing concerts. And I went to him and I said, Hey, how, why don't you let me record all the big name bands that come into town to do live concerts? 
and I'll, I'll put all my recordings through in a van and come and record it, and then we'll air it on the local big music station, radio station, and get you free, free publicity. So he said, okay. Then I went to the radio station and said, how would you like uh, recordings of all the top bands that come to town? They said, okay. And I said, I'll do it in exchange for free advertising. Went, okay. So I started recording all the big name concerts that came to town uh, in a mobile van and then airing the concerts on the local radio station. And, uh, you know, there was a lot of pressure to get good in a hurry because I was, <laughs> I was recording uh, national artists. So uh, that was how it all got started. It really all just started from my passion of music. Now, were you an were you a musician at all, or you you just like to record music and listen, or what? I mean, because did you I have... can honestly say I started out with no skills. I, <laughs> you know, uh, I'd love to tell you that I had all this talent, but that wouldn't be true. So, and where did you get the the knowledge as far as as far as mixing was concerned? Well, you know, you rec- if you spend long enough doing anything, you can figure it out. And the one thing, fortunately, I did have was a reasonably good ear because I'd I'd always listen to music so I could hear when I got it wrong, which was a lot of the time in the beginning. And um, and so it was really my ear that saved me and guided me towards, you know, uh, being able to turn out a good product because I knew what it needed to sound like. And then it was just a question of, you know, miking and, and levels and, and getting from point A to point B. But uh, uh, so that was that was kind of the genesis of it. it. It started with a very simple dream. I had a couple goals for myself when I was young. And one of my goals was to write a hit song. And uh, I wanted to make a movie. I want to write a hit song. And I wanted to photograph the cover of Cosmo. <laughs> <laughs> I never got the cover of Cosmo, but I did make a movie, which was on PBS, and I got my hit song. So I got two of my three goals knocked off. There you go. So, and I'm pretty sure you might be able to, like, enter some type of contest or something and be able to maybe accomplish that third goal somehow or other. Well, gotta I haven't be given up on that one. I was a fashion photographer at the same time I was a recording engineer. So I had a recording studio on the main level, and then on the other level, I had a fashion photography studio. So it was pretty good because all the girls would come over to get their pictures taken, all the models, (laughs) and they'd see all the bands. And so they thought, oh, that's great. There's all these bands here. And then all the bands would come over and see all the models. And they think, oh, that's great. You got all the girls here. So it was... uh, it was a real, uh, let's say, melting pot. <laughs> I was going to say, I could see, I see the commonality of the thread here, which is, which is girls. It's just, well, you know, you're right. It, which I, is, which I, is, I've never claimed to be at, a very deep person. At, which is, no, it's admirable. It's you had a plan. You know, most of us just kind of scattered through our teens, <laughs> just <laughs> try to figure it out. But you had, you had a very distinct plan. Yeah, it was a distinct plan, but, uh, you know. So, uh, so where did you set up this? Shallow. <laughs> That's fine, though. <laughs> so where did you set up this? So where did you set up the studio, this moon studio? How did you well, find, first, find the location? The first, my first studio was in the basement of the house that I was living in. And uh, we hung carpets on the walls because uh, it was a uh, it was a boulder. There were all boulders in concrete in the – I never forget the basement. This is a very – was like a rock stone uh, basement down there. It wasn't very big, and so we hung boulders up, and and I hung the uh, plastic microphones that came with the tape recorder. There was four of them from the ceiling <laughs> on extension cords. I mean, it was it was super crude, and, and when I say crude, I mean primitive, and and uh, you know I started recording bands and. And slowly I figured out that, okay, I needed some real microphones. And then I figured I needed a real mixer. Then I figured I needed some real speakers to hear what I was doing. You know, slowly by slowly, all the pieces came together. And uh, uh, and, and, and like I said, I was really busy. I had lots of people coming in. And I had a real desire to, 
You know, it's embarrassing to turn out a bad recording in front of band after band. So you're pretty self-motivated to get good in a hurry just because you don't want to be laughed at. (laughs) Right, but how are you getting the money to pay for upgrading the equipment? I mean, you're talking about, I mean, you were not charging anybody to record. Well, I was, I was, I had a job and I was working and... uh, Doing what? uh, Well, I I got a job... um, uh, running the recording studio at the largest ad agency <laughs> in course. town shortly after this coming on board. So after I figured out recording and mixing about a year or a year and a half in, I, I became the chief audio engineer at the biggest ad agency, Campbell Methuen in Minneapolis. And they would have me come in and during the day I'd record jingles and, and, and produce music for them. And then at night, I go back to my studio and do, I mean, it was 24-hour recording studio life for me. And um, and what most people don't know, because uh, your audience might find this interesting, is that uh, uh, oftentimes on the weekends when no one was around, if I had jingles to do, I would sneak prints into the studio and I don't know if anyway, I don't know if I've even told anyone this, I mean, publicly <laughs> before, but uh, he actually did some uh, some commercials, some commercial jingles. I've still got one of them on tape. I think it's the only recording of a commercial jingle still left uh, that uh, Prince did, uh, sang all the instruments on and play and sang on. <laughs> what was the product? The it was for a ladies' clothing store called Gigi's. <laughs> that's great! Oh my gosh, that's fantastic! So, so let's let's rewind. We'll come back to this because this is this is interesting. Because, well, actually, I want to stay right where we are because we're kind of uncovering things you hadn't talked about before. So, how many commercials before we leave this point, though, and before I forget and get off track? How many commercials do you think that Prince probably played instruments on or recorded? Well, I know because I I think I'm the only one who ever did jingles with him. Uh, I paid him. uh, He got paid a hundred bucks a jingle, which was, (laughs) you know, which we were seeing cash coming in. We were all excited about that back then. Right. And um, I would say besides the Gigi commercials, we probably did – well, he played on some but didn't sing, and he sang on some and didn't play. But, you know, if you, in terms of all that he ever participated in, maybe five or six. So there are five or six commercials. These are radio commercials, correct? Radio, okay. yes, yes. So five or six radio commercials that had prints on them. And the companies, probably even all these years later, had no idea that... Well, nobody ever knew. Right. Nobody <laughs> ever knew who it that's was. fantastic. Oh, my gosh. That's great. I mean, and he wasn't... He really... He wasn't Prince at that time. He was just uh, no, he was a local Prince. guy. He was just... Right. He was he a local was guy. Right. He was Moon Sound Prince. So it was before he was known. Oh, that's fantastic. All right. So that's a great, that's an amazing tidbit. So let's, let's rewind now. You got Moon Studio set up. And so now let's talk about In Walk Champagne. This is, so now we're rewinding before you even met Prince. And tell us about, tell me about how you met Champagne, you know, how you, you went to one of their shows. I imagine you probably remember the, the place that you went to meet them. I didn't go to meet them. No, no. What okay. happened was... So, so you know, now my recording studio is up and rolling, and I've graduated to actually making money for my recordings. I think we are about 20 bucks an hour. And uh, so I, I'm still working at the ad agency, so I go down to the ad agency. I get out of the ad agency about 3 or 4 o'clock. I come back, and then I got recording sessions all booked. And uh, Champagne's, uh, the manager for Champagne with this was uh, – uh, a mother who had called me up and booked some time with me. So I didn't really know anything about the group or anything before they showed up at my door. And she had called up and said, hey, we want to do a recording with you. And actually, you know, all those free recordings that I did for all those local bands was good, pretty good PR because 
<laughs> you know, right. it got people talking about me for a long time. So uh, she shows up with the band and they, they come to do a band demo tape and they're recording in the studio. It's summertime. It seemed like it was June, July, because I remember it was nice out. It was warm and sunny. And the band would, uh, would you know, record for three or four hours. They were coming over a period of a week or two. Each day we would do a little more progress on various songs. And uh, Prince was a member of the group. And I don't think, if I said two words to him before I sat down and talked to him the first time, I would be surprised. But so the, the whole, it was an interesting situation. So I'm a, I'm, a po I'm, I'm a writer. I'm a poet. I've been writing poetry since I was 10, 9, 10. And I'm recording all these bands, and I'm still recording lots of bands for free, because if I find a band I like and they don't have any money, I just give them the studio time. So I would say, even at this point, when I'm charging 60% of my time, I'm giving away free to local bands. And really, I'm giving it away mostly to black bands, because that's the kind of music I like. I, I really didn't do much country, or we did a little bit of rock, but... Most of the music I liked was R&B. I just liked a good rhythm. So I would go out and find any black band I could and try and get them in the studio just because I, I, the sheer pleasure of listening to the music and, and recording them was, was payoff enough for me. Right. So, um, so they're on break one day. And well, no, so I've decided that I want to write uh, uh, write some of my own songs. I thought I'm giving all this time away to everybody else. Maybe I should do a couple of my own songs. Seems uh, seems uh, I, I wasn't exactly being too self focused, and I had a moment of inspiration where I thought maybe I'll do something for myself for a change. <laughs> and, and so I thought, well. If I'm going to do some of my own material, there's a problem, and the problem is I need a band. And I've worked with enough bands in the studio to know that the primary problem with working with a band is it's really difficult to get five musicians to all show up at the same time. You're all there ready to record and you find out the drummer had a flat tire or the bass player broke up with his girlfriend or <laughs> all these things happen. <laughs> right. So I'm sitting here thinking, I don't really want to deal with this misery, but I do want to produce some, some original material. And I'm committed to that. And I want to do it in the R&B mode because that's my favorite kind of music. So I'm sitting there with all this rolling through my head. It's lunchtime. I'm eating a, a ham and cheese sandwich. The band has gone on break across the street to 31 Flavors to get some ice creams. I'm sitting in the studio. I thought by myself. I look out into the studio from the control room. And I see one smaller sized musician playing a bass guitar. Don't think much of it. Take a couple bites of sandwich, look up. Bass guitar player is now playing a little bit electric guitar. Still don't think much of it. Take another bite or two, look up again. Now he's over on the piano. Now, you see, now I'm starting to think, wait a minute. He's playing more than one instrument. That's kind of interesting. So then I put the sandwich down and start watching him. Then I see him go over to the drums, and he's kicking out a nice rhythm. I'm thinking, huh? And then the light goes off in my head. If I did something with one musician who played all the instruments, I wouldn't have to get all the artists, all the band to show up. I've only got to get one guy to show up. <laughs> right. Right. So this seems like a really clever idea on my part. So so I did something that was just, you know, totally out of character and probably not the smartest thing I've ever done, but maybe the smartest thing I've ever done. And then as I walked into the studio and said, how would you like to be famous? And he looked up at me and he, Prince was always a man of few words and grunted. And I said, look, you know, I'll teach you to record, I'll produce you, I'll package you, we'll put a demo tape around you, I, I, I'm going to write the songs, you can do this, the, the, uh, the music and sing it, and we'll put a demo tape together and I'll see if I can make something happen for you. No cost. And he looked up and nodded. So I reached into my pocket. I grabbed the keys to my recording studio, which was everything I owned in life, and handed them to him. And I said, you know, I'm going to leave two songs on the piano, two sets of lyrics. Come over after you get out of school, catch the bus, 
and pick one of the sets of lyrics you like and work up the music. And when I get back from the studio, uh, we'll, uh, we'll produce it. And I'll teach you how to record and engineer. And I think maybe two or three words was the most we shared, and that was the beginning. <laughs> it just, just amazes me that you handed the keys to your life over to somebody you just you've never met before. So what was it about him that just made you just let all of no, your no, guard down? I, really, I can't really say it was anything about him. I, I mean, I've always been a person that, you know, starts with the premise that, you know, you can trust people. And uh, uh, I'm much more likely to trust a poor person than a rich person back then. And I just felt that, you know, I didn't have much, you know, why why would anyone hurt me if I'm trying to help them? And I, I came to it with such a naive, innocent kind of approach. I think that maybe, you know, and I, I had done that with lots of people along the line and, uh, you know, trusted them openly. And, and I hadn't seen, seen anybody really abuse me doing that. So I just figured it's a good way to be. Hmm. So... You know, you were saying that, so the, you said there were two songs that you put on there. Were, was one of those soft and wet? Oh, no, no, no. So what I told him is each day when he came home, when he came, caught the bus and came to the studio, I would leave a different two songs on the piano. He would pick one set, set of lyrics and work it up. But that was an ongoing thing. It wasn't just two songs. It was, you know, we did 15, 20 songs. So where are these 15, 20 songs? Um, you have them the somewhere? <laughs> yeah, all over the place. Have, have, we, have we heard? I mean, I know, it, the, the, obviously, the famous story is that y you and him put together Soft and Wet, and that's one of his biggest hits, your biggest well, I, hits. I, I, I actually wrote, I, I wrote all the songs on his demo tape. And and then I realized that, you know, he has to have an original song. I can't go out and get a contract for him if he hasn't written one song himself. So I said, Prince, you know, the, you got to write one song yourself. you got to do lyrics and everything all by yourself because we've got to have one song in this demo tape that, that shows that you can do it without me. And um, and so, uh, I, as I recall, it was Baby that he wrote on, on himself. And, and so I wrote three of the four songs on his demo tape that got him his contract and his first hit song. And he wrote the fourth song, which was, I think, necessary to get him signed. Right. So what, what were, besides Baby, what were the other three songs? I knew you were going to ask me. I don't even remember anymore. Uh, maybe, <laughs> you knew I was going to ask. That. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's... Uh, <laughs> I think I remember... I, I, we did so many songs together. You know, I, I don't I couldn't even tell you all the songs we did together. I mean, I'm, this is fairly common knowledge. You can look up online all the songs that were on the original demo tape. Yeah, I think... I'll have to look this up. But there are some... Uh, uh, yeah, there, there's like a lot of different things that I'm, I'm looking at uh, here. I'm just kind of, you know... Thanks. But we we Thanks. we Thanks were you know we were wildly experimental. I mean, I used to we used to do backward tracks and sing through vacuum cleaner hoses while we were spitting them above our head. And, you know, we, I really I was really into trying wild and crazy things. And Prince really enjoyed the idea of you know uh, experimenting with different ways of making music and sound and 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 you know it was uh, it was a uh, very experimental time, I guess you could say. What was interesting was when Prince walked into the studio, he was so, so shy. I mean, he would almost speak in a whisper. Right. And um, uh, did you ever hear the story about the first time we went to record his vocals? No, I have not. Uh, it's a fascinating story because... So now, you know, we've worked up all this music. I've got a couple of music tracks that uh, were songs that we've worked up over, over a couple months. And so, uh, so now it's time to start laying down, you know, we lay down the music first, and then we come and do the, the vocals afterwards. But we haven't actually done a vocal yet. So it's our first song and that, that we're going to do a vocal track. And, and so I set up the mic and all the rest and 
Prince, Prince is on the mic and he's got the lyrics in front of him and I'm in the control room and I start playing the song and push the record button to get our first take. And I see his lips moving, but I hear no sound. So I think I got a bad mic or a bad cable. As I swap out the mics, I swap out the cables. Still, I go back in the control room. Every time I start recording, I see him singing, but I can't record anything. No sounds coming through. So finally, while it's still playing, I walk into the studio and 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 I hear the, in the middle of the studio this tiny, tiny little voice. <laughs> and he's singing so quietly even with my gain cranked all the way up on the mixing console, it's not moving the needles. <laughs> oh, man. And I realize I've, I've got a small problem here because I've got all this time invested in this artist, and, and the plan was to get my, my lyrics, my words out there in songs, <laughs> and I didn't actually contemplate the idea that I might have picked a singer that either couldn't sing or couldn't be heard if he sung <laughs> right. <clears throat> right so so um i'm in this real quandary now thinking uh this might have been a small mistake of my part maybe i should have auditioned <laughs> him singing i knew he could play instruments i maybe should have auditioned him singing first right so um wow. so i spend hours doing everything i can trying to get him to sing loud enough to record. And it's just not happening. And, and after a few hours going over and over, you know, that it starts taking a mental toll on the artist, you know, fr from an ego standpoint. Right, so yeah. so finally I, I said, let's take a break here. And I, and I went downstairs where my, my bedroom was underneath the studio and I grabbed blankets and my pillow and I came up and I made a bed in the middle of the recording studio and said, come over here and lay down, Let, get comfortable. And I put his head on my pillow and I tucked him in, <laughs> tucked him in with blankets. And I turned off the lights in the studio and I took the microphone. I shoved it as close to his mouth as I could possibly get it. And I said, I want you to just close your eyes and just... Just imagine you're all by yourself in your room by yourself and there's no one around. And I want you just, you know, just just sing along. And and for a while I sang with him, which, you know, if you ever hear me sing, is not the most beautiful thing in the world. And 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 I sang with him. I started out singing softly and got a bit louder and louder. And eventually after after quite a bit of time, I I coaxed his voice out of him to the point where I had something to record. Mm. And that's the first time I personally ever was able to hear his voice uh, recorded. It was, and he had a nice voice, but it was a falsetto. And I think he, he was really insecure about, you know, uh, singing in a falsetto. And yeah, so it, it took, it took quite a while to bring his voice out in the studio it's not that he had he he always had a great voice it was it was just he needed a safe place to be able to let it out and know that it was okay and and that that process was you know that was a pretty intimate sharing experience with him because you, you had to be at a, a high level of trust in order to be able to to have him do it do that with you well i find i found the track listing for the demo uh, but it's only got three songs listed on it. It was actually an actual screenshot from of, of a reel, and it had, I guess, your, I guess it was the container that uh, it's actually a picture. I'll just send you this link. Um, well, I've, got one, I've got the the, the tape in my in my uh, safe. I mean, uh, you know, just so. just as long as we're together, my love is forever and Jelly Jam. So those are the three songs that were listed on there, and there was no. A, I don't think that was his original demo tape. Uh, that's oh, it said what? Uh, what look and see? I'll go and look it up and send it to you later on. I've I've got the yes, original yeah, tape. Yeah. That that yeah, because it it's it's got David Rivkin's name on it, so that can't be the right one either. No. Um. So you also had talked about um, you also had talked about the fact that you actually taught him a little bit about 
some of the mixing. And one of the things I've always found interesting is that he um, actually he had this thing where that would drive some engineers crazy is that sometimes he would record and he would take a piece of tape and he would put it over the levels so that he couldn't see the levels because his mindset was that it doesn't, I, I don't, I don't care what these meters tell me. If it sounds good to me, I don't want it to be screwed up by me freaking out because I'm redlining over here on this channel. I just, it is, was there something, a technique or something that you kind of feel like you passed on to him that you can hear in his recordings in, in his later years, you go, you, you might listen to something that he's recorded and go, yeah, I, I, I know that was something that I taught him how to do. I mean, was there anything? Well, you know, like I, that? I, 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 I I don't like to jump in and try and take credit for his creative uh, of genius, I, yeah. but you know, when he came and he didn't know how to record or produce anything. So I, I taught him the process of recording and, and mixing. And one thing that I always stressed to him, as I said, look, you know, you don't need to get caught up in the technicalities of it. It doesn't matter the technicalities at the, at the end of the game, all we're trying to do is, is get great emotional music out the back end of all this electronics. So, you know, you don't need to worry about staring at everything, if, or staring at all the knobs and where the faders are. If it's way up high or way down low, it doesn't matter. If it sounds right, it is right. So maybe, maybe that's where he got that from. But our, our approach was to, and what I was trying to instill with him is that you don't need, tons of technical training to be a good mixing engineer uh you just need you need to be able to to hear and communicate uh the emotions of what of of your music and your expression hmm. yeah i think he he really took because nobody that uh that has ever been documented as talking about his recording style and the way that he ran, he was very, very non-traditional in every sense of the word. It was like he, he kind of didn't want to adhere to any, any type of specific you know, process. Let's look where he learned it from. He looked, right. he learned it from a guy who never went to school for any of this, had no formal education and learned by doing free recordings for bands. So, you know, I, I, I'm probably guilty of not being the best teacher in the world. <laughs> <laughs> so you've got um so one of the things that that's uh kind of interesting um is that so now you've you've kind of got this demo tell me how um owen husney gets involved in this picture at this point well there's actually one step in the, so i'm working at this ad agency and i'm looking learning how to do international and national high-end corporate marketing, uh, image and identity and color and uh, corporate positioning statements and, and impact of images. I'm learning all of this stuff at a high level at the ad agency during the day. And then I'm coming home and trying to translate this to this music project that I'm working on, which I want to have a high level of su su success uh, personally. So I would talk to talk to uh, Prince about these these marketing concepts of, you know, how color, you know, gets identified with products and how you need to have a corporate color. And so that, that's how we came up with the idea of uh, purple for royalty. And that's how it tied in with Prince. So that was the corporate identity with with color. And then, you know, there's a there's a story I've told a couple of times before where we have this the biggest knockdown drag out fight we ever have lasted three months was over his name. Have you heard this, this story? <laughs> no. Oh, so <laughs> I come, I sit down with Prince and I said, all right, so we've got our color, you know, and, and then soft and wet was written around a marketing concept. It wasn't just a song that I wrote randomly and said, let's do this. I had learned at the, at the, at the ad agency that, Everything has to reflect the 
you know, the, the strategy, the marketing strategy. So I was thinking, what's the marketing strategy for, you know, uh, a short uh, Afro-headed black, black guy from the north, north side? How am I going to make him punch through uh, all the noise and be, become really noticed? And so in analyzing that from a marketing standpoint, I came up with the idea that, you know, he, he was not going to probably appeal to a lot of guys right off the top. He was probably going to appeal to younger girls. And so uh, the idea of writing songs with a uh, sexual double entendre seemed like the best way of doing that. You couldn't be too blatant if these were younger girls because it had to be more subtle and it couldn't be crude. So the, the concept was to come out with a double entendre in a sexual message, double entendre meaning uh, two messages, one that's very innocent and one that could be interpreted maybe sexually. So uh, so to that concept, I wrote uh, Soft and Wet. So that was the marketing concept behind him, the, the idea that you'd have implied sexual uh, but arguably innocent lyrics that could go either way. So that was the marketing concept. And then we had... They had the color, but then there was the name, and the name was the most important part of all. So I sit down with Prince, and I said, well, let's just make sure we're on the same page with the name. You know, uh, when we package you up, you know, we got to put a name on the tape, and I'm assuming we're on the same page, but let's just make sure. I want to put the name Prince on the tape. I, you don't need a last name. There's never been a Prince rock star before. You know, it's a completely unique name and uh god has given us a gift here let's use it and he looked at me wow. he said i will never use that name <laughs> what? and i just about fell off my stool i'm thinking here i am you know with the gift of gifts in the name department i mean you couldn't ask for a better name i knew i recognized it right off the top it was it was it was perfect yeah and he wasn't having it or because of his father? Or was it reasoning? Well, you know, it took me a while to get it out of him. But he said, look, you know, people would tease me at school and call me princess. <laughs> oh, yeah, well. So I had a real problem with the name here. So I said, well, okay, I'm really, really interested. What name? If it isn't Prince, and your Prince, your name is Prince Rogers Nelson, what name, real or otherwise, is it you want to use to package you up and go out and try and get you a big contract? I will never forget the answer to this, and you won't believe it when you hear it. <laughs> okay, I got to hear it. Prince looks at me and he says, there's only one name I will ever consider. I went, okay, let's hear it. And I've always wondered if he had won this argument and got his way, would he have su su succeeded? He said, the name I will, the only name I will consider using is Mr. Nelson. <laughs> I thought, I remember what I said to him. I said, Prince, have you ever heard of Willie? <laughs> Willie's already done that. Well, that's uh, why I'm going to be Mr. Nelson. There you go. <laughs> so for three months, we had a knockdown argument about it. We could not agree. He would not give in. I would not give in. We were both stubborn. At the end of three months, I said to him, look, I cannot keep on working on this package knowing at the end I'm going to stamp the name Mr. Nelson on it because it just is never going to work. Right. I'm paying for all of this. It's, you know, you don't have a nickel into this thing. I'm paying for everything. I am going to have to exercise executive privilege here and say, either we do it my way or we stop. <laughs> That's fantastic. Well, he didn't think so. Well, of course not. No. <laughs> He's ticked at that he point. He didn't think so. He was very, very unhappy with me for a long time. I've always often wondered if he ever looked back. The, the, you know, if he ever looked back and said, well, maybe he was right on that one. <laughs> I I think you can, he may have never, ever said it publicly, but I, I think you can rest on your laurels that he was probably 
thankful to you that you you pushed him to use that. And well, also, so here's, here's, here's the question. Here's the question. <laughs> the other question I've always wondered: if he had won the argument with 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 him being as talented as as he was and capable and all of the massive talent he had, would that have overcome a name like Mr. Nelson? <laughs> no, I don't know. I, I, I just can't imagine it could have worked. No. no. But we'll never know. Well. So and, anyway, so now we get the tape done and we take the 15, 20 songs. We I condense it down to three. We add uh, Prince's original, which I've insisted that he writes. Add that on. We got the, the tapes. And so he says, well, what's the next step? And I said, well, now we've got to uh, 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 get you a manager and get you signed. He said, well, you're going to be my manager. I said, no, I, I'm not going to be your manager. He said, you've got to be my manager. I said, I'm not going to be your manager. He said, well, what do you mean you're not going to be my manager? I says, I'm... I'm your writer, producer, engineer. I'm not your manager. He says, well, you want, you have to be my manager. I said, look, I am not interested in booking your hotel flights and making sure you get on the plane and making sure you brush your teeth in the morning. <laughs> I just want to write songs and write music. I, I don't want to be the guy who's got to push and prod you for all the details of a business career. It's nothing that interests me. But you have to do it. Please do it. Please do it. No, no, no. I, I, there's nothing I've got any interest in. If I'm not interested, I'm not going to be any good at it, and I won't serve you. <laughs> so the long and the short of it is I then, um, because I wouldn't take the job, and I clearly didn't want the job, I had to go find him a manager. And, and it turned out that uh, Owen had been in the studio recording uh, a band that he was representing. And uh, we got along pretty well. I thought he was a straight shooter. So I went over to Owen's office and thought I was going to get right in. But uh, uh, apparently he was busy that day. And so I kept coming back every day for a week trying to get in to see <laughs> Owen, who was being stubborn that week, I guess. Right. And uh, finally, uh, on Friday, I finally get in to see him. And I said, hey, uh, he said, well, what can I do for you? I said, look, uh, I've, I've got the next superstar. Probably everybody says that, I suppose. And he said, well, what do you mean? I said, I've got the next Stevie Wonder. He can play all the instruments, except he's, he's not blind. And um, <laughs> that was my pitch. That's your it was pitch. A, it was a pretty sophisticated pitch. <laughs> I thought, half of, I thought half the pitch was good. The other half was just correct. Right. So, so I play the uh, I play the material to Owen and uh, give him a bit more of a hype. And uh, you know, Owen uh, listens to tape and he's on board. And and so, you know, I. I I said, look, I got the whole thing all packaged up. It's ready to go. Artist is named Prince, not Mr. Nelson. <laughs> not Mr. Nelson. Right? Uh, his color's purple. He does a sexual entendre, double, <laughs> double entendre, and uh, we got a song to go with it. Right. And, uh, <laughs> and that's how we got that one on board. Well, I got to tell you, this like fantastic. I mean, it's just a. I mean, fantastic story that your your involvement in it and and uh, I, I know again we're going back to soft and wet when we were talking about this song earlier this year. Correct me if I'm wrong. I thought I remember <clears throat> seeing some type of press release or article indicating that you were wanting to sell your rights away from that song for a certain amount of money, whatever that money was. What what was the story there? Well, there's all kinds of stories floating around. <laughs> Prince was always good about, you know, conjuring up rumors and then letting them kind of die away. No, this was this year. This was this oh, year. Oh, it was. Yeah, yeah it was yeah. this year. You were, yeah. you were selling off. I know that. Okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Look, you know, 
I've been collecting royalties on soft and wet all my life. And, um, and so I'm always playing with, with the idea, you know, other, uh, other things that you may not know. I've got, uh, you know, I've, I've got all kinds of little goodies that uh, came from that time that, you know, I, I, I have never, I think I'm the only person really hasn't done a book or, I'm generally underexposed in the marketplace by choice. So, right. <laughs> you've got songs that Prince recorded from doing jingles. You've yeah. got a box full of jingles. I think I'm also <laughs> the only person in the world that owns a Prince song because uh, he That's did. Uh, we did a song swap without getting into the details, and in the song swap. He wrote all, he signed all his rights to his music over to me because I had signed all my rights to my lyrics over to him. So I, I think I'm the only person that actually owns this. I could put a song out tomorrow and say, buy Prince, and it would be correct. And I could collect the royalties because I own his side of it. <laughs> you know, I just want to see you do that just because of everything that's going on with Paisley Park right now. I just want to see Paisley Park struggle to stop you. That's really what I want to see. Cause well, you know, I'm, I'm just, sensitive about his memory, so I'm, I know, I'm trying, I know. I'm trying to, you know, be Understood. appropriate. Yeah. When was the last time you, you got a chance to see him? Or oh, talk I, haven't, to him. I haven't seen it for decades, you know. Or talk to him. The last time we spoke is truly a remarkable story. I mean, I don't know how much time you got because I'll put your audience to sleep if you give me half a chance. <laughs> well, I, I I know you got a I know you got a date coming up, so I want to make well, sure. Well, let me just wrap let's, let me just wrap up with this story because okay, it's, sure. it's it's almost nobody knows it, and it's a mind blowing story. So after Purple Rain came out, which is Prince's big movie. Mm-hmm. Um, a few years later, he did a second movie. Most Prince fans will know about it, mm -hmm. even though it was a not very popular movie, if you will, but uh, Under the Cherry Bone. Right. And shortly after he got done making it, and I think it was right before around the time it was released, I got the last, the last time I spoke to him, I got a phone call from him about that movie. And he called me up out of the blue, and it had been years since I'd spoken to him. And he said, uh, Chris. I said, yeah. Who's this? Prince. Oh, how are you? He says, I just wanted to call you and tell you something. I said, what's that? He says, I just thought you might like to know I just made a movie about you. <laughs> I said, you made a movie about me? Why? <laughs> he said, well... I just thought you might like it. I said, well, what's the movie called? He says it's called Under the Cherry Moon. Sea Moon. Get it? <laughs> That's great. And I said, oh, my goodness. I said, he said, and in the movie, I play you. I said, what do you mean you play me? He says, I play a character named Christopher. And Christopher's <laughs> kind of a gigolo. I said, well, thanks a lot. He says, you know how you're always chasing girls back then. He says, so anyway, I want you to watch the movie. And then there's a scene in that movie, in around the middle of it, where there's where where Prince, who's playing Christopher, that's a playboy, mm -hmm. puts a sign on his bed. And the camera pans over to it, and the camera is on the on the sign. It says, "Christopher, call me." <laughs> and I always took that as a message that I was supposed to call him, but I didn't have his phone number, so it was kind of hard to reach him. <laughs> but what I did do is I used to send him a postcard from wherever I went in the world. And I would go into the jungles of Papua New Guinea and live with headhunters, and I was doing films in Africa with lions. So I was traveling all over the world. And wherever I went, I always sent him a postcard, you know, cheers from the moon in Africa <laughs> or wherever it was. But uh, the last time I heard from him was to say that he'd done a movie about me. That's fantastic. Well, thought, well, that's about that's about as as big a nod as as you could ever give anybody. That's fantastic. And so, a couple a couple things. First off, um, you and I are going to be on a cruise ship together on January fifth, and uh, it is the For the Love of God 
cruise that's happening yes, on that's January right. 5th. And yep. um, as far as I know, I'm going to be sitting in front of you, interviewing you. And uh, My condolences. We, we are going to be, because I know there's tons more stories where that came from, and I'm just really looking forward to to really digging in and, and, and helping, having other Prince fans that are going to be on the boat with us, you know. Kind of enjoy it's these the stories. First time I've actually ever done anything like this, where, where um, you know, I've been exposed to a large group of people that would be Prince fans. So uh, I'm really kind of looking forward to myself, and uh, you know, I'm appreciative of the uh, Prince for the Love of God uh, organization for uh, setting it up. I think it's going to be tremendous fun and uh, a really unique and interesting experience. Yeah, I'm. I, I agree. This is going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be a lot of fun, and I know you have a date to uh, with I, my wife. With your wife, who I've been with for twenty years. <laughs> a date with destiny. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, thank you so much for taking taking the time. Um, and we will obviously uh, we obviously will play this, and uh, so that people can hear it, and they're actually going to hear it in about uh, uh, less than an hour. So, but it will get reposted, so you can actually. Uh, you know, if you want to call me later and say, Chris, you know, to take that out. <laughs> I didn't mean to say that. <laughs> no, I'm sure I said it. <laughs> all well, right. to, all the Prince, to all the Prince fans out there that might be listening, uh, thank you over the years for uh, uh, your support of the artist and, and, you know, indirectly for your support of, of, of me and, and the, some of the songs I've written. So it's been a tremendous journey and, and one that I wouldn't trade for the world. Thank you all. Well, thank you so much for the stories, and make sure that you uh, bring me. I, I want to hear some of those jingles when we get <laughs> on the cruise. <laughs> okay. All right. We'll talk to you later, sir. Thank you so much nice for talking to you. Cheers. Bye bye. Cheers. Bye bye.